part in. So, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm here with Janine Eunice, who is a litigation counsel at the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Uh, Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me uh, again. Yeah, I should say welcome back to the show. That's that'd be far more accurate. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, the reason that I got in touch was because uh, I saw that you have begun working for the New Civil Liberties Alliance. I don't know how recent that is, but that's fairly recent, I think. Um, A little over. I actually started there probably right after I talked to you last time. So it was like April of 21. So I've been here for almost a year and a half now. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. so you're not just getting settled in and being given the, the big new case. No. <laughs> um, so, no. So, yeah, the reason I got in touch is because... Um, about, I can't remember what point it was, last year, I think it was. And anyway, the US government decided to announce uh, that they were going to be working with Facebook in order to tell people or to tell Facebook who was misinformation and who should be removed from um, from the platform or who should be prevented from speaking. And I remember being absolutely horrified thinking, isn't someone going to sue? Like, isn't somebody <laughs> going to raise this in court? And uh, recently, I saw that the New Civil, Liber uh, New Civil Liberties Alliance, um, along with a host of other people whose names I will get up here now, um, have raised said lawsuit, thankfully. Um, yeah. So do you want to do you want to tell people? Yeah, you'll do a much better job of explaining what the lawsuit actually is than I, sure. than I will. Sure. So I can give uh, so the background information is, uh, as, as you noted, um, the members of the federal uh, government, especially the Biden administration, have been banking threats, basically not, you know, not just telling Facebook what to do. And by the way, it's not just Facebook. It's very broad. It's like all tech companies. So Twitter, YouTube, and this even reaches further um, into like e-commerce platforms, instant messaging systems. It's just extremely uh, sort of intrusive um, in terms of the, the reach that it has. Uh, so they've been basically threatening them with regulation or even other forms of legal action. Um, if they don't spread purveyors of so-called misinformation about COVID. Um, and, you know, <laughs> some of the things they cite are like saying that masks don't work or saying the vaccines aren't as good as advertised, which we now know is true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is really core First Amendment speech. Of, I imagine most people know that in the United States we have the First Amendment, which um, says that the government can't uh, censor individuals based on viewpoint. So you certainly, you know, there can be certain kinds of restrictions on speech, but the, the government can, can't be in the business of deciding this perspective is valid and this perspective isn't. And uh, so I actually, that there were a couple of other lawsuits, but they sued the uh, the tech companies. And they did cite, you know, that, that their theory was actually that the tech companies were essentially arms of the government because they were doing the government's bidding. I brought the first lawsuit uh, a little bit earlier in March. Um, that was called Changizi versus uh, Department of Health and Human Services suing the federal government and not the private companies and saying that the government's coercion of the companies was a First Amendment violation. The judge unfortunately dismissed that lawsuit in May and he basically said, um, you can't show that your plaintiffs were three people who had been suspended by Twitter um, to uh, ultimately permanently, one temporarily, for saying, you know, the sorts of things that I think are completely valid, uh, criticizing lockdowns and mass mandates, vaccine mandates. Um, you can't prove that your plaintiffs were censored because of the government. Uh, Twitter was doing some censoring or misinformation before the timeline you point to. The, the federal government had started making these statements in early 21. Um, they had been censoring some misinformation in 2020. Uh, so therefore, you know, you just haven't proven causation here and uh, threw the lawsuit out. On the same day, by pure coincidence, the uh, attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri brought a really similar lawsuit 
Um, but theirs was much more expansive. So theirs actually doesn't just cover COVID misinformation. It's also there's been censorship of uh, information about, you know, people who think that Trump won the election, which I don't think, but it's still something people should be able to say. <laughs> um, people who the Hunter Biden laptop story, for instance, and now it's climate so-called misinformation, abortion misinformation. So this is really viewpoint based. It's trying to, you know, silence a certain perspective. Uh, by the way, much of which I happen to disagree with. I, I'm pro-choice and I don't think Trump won the election. <laughs> so, uh, but these people have a right to, um, air their views. Uh, they had actually, they told me they borrowed from my complaint and a couple others and got this idea. Um, and then they have, you know, theirs is really, theirs is really good. <laughs> they had a very expansive lawsuit. Um, and then they had, Four, actually five private plaintiffs who uh, wanted to join and they thought would be good, but um, attorneys general can't represent private plaintiffs. So um, we partnered with them so that we could represent those people. Um, well, we're not representing one, and there's another lawsuit who's representing uh, Jim Hoff, who's the uh, founder of Gateway Pundit. So we're representing Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Kuldorf, who are two of the people who wrote the Great Barrington Declaration. I can explain later what that is if you want. And Aaron Cariotti, who was a professor um, in California, he was fired for not getting the vaccine. Uh, and a fourth woman named Jill Hines, who leads uh, an organization called Health Freedom Louisiana, which is trying to fight back against mandates, vaccine and mask mandates. Okay, so that's a great overview. So, yeah. my, my, the the first thing I want to know is is what what was the like actual original grievance in the lawsuit? Is it just that that people have been censored as a result of of U.S. government policy, like that? That the government has lent on on big tech platforms to have people removed f because of yeah things that the government has considered to be things you shouldn't be allowed to say online is is it literally that? That's uh, well, that's one of the the claims. So that okay. that's sort of the sort of most direct First Amendment claim. There's also, and I don't know if you have a similar principle in uh, in the UK, but we have there's something called a chilling effect that the you know is re widely recognized. So if people fear that they're going to be uh, you know, punished for voicing their views and they don't voice those views. Um, and that's called chilling. And that's considered a First Amendment violation in and of itself, which is one reason why I think the court was very, very wrong here. So, you know, I, you know, I'm an avid Twitter user. I don't say certain things uh, about the vaccine because I'm afraid that I'll lose my account. Um, and the, the two, so uh, Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kuldorf, after they wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, which was um, they uh, wrote in October of 2020 and was basically a call to end lockdowns and uh, instead to embrace something called fo they call focus protection, which is, you know, their argument is that lockdowns hurt um, the most vulnerable, not sort of physically vulnerable, but the poor, the working class, young people, uh, well, giving no basically no benefit to them because they face little risk from the disease. Well, they actually fail to protect the people who need it. They're not really geared towards, um, you know, protecting people who are physically vulnerable to COVID. Uh, Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, who are uh, high up in the NIH, immediately singled this out for criticism, said that these people need to be silenced, and there were various mechanisms through which uh, the, their declaration was sort of suppressed. So through, uh, like, searching in Google, it became very hard to find. Um, I believe it was even taken down from Facebook at some point. Um, videos of those two talking with Ron DeSantis, this is sort of separate from the Great Barrington Declaration, but uh, they had a discussion with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, about mass mandates for children and the harms um, and lack of benefits. That video was taken down, you know, when they're being targeted uh, publicly by people in the Biden administration, which I think is really disturbing. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about Anthony Fauci, really, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, you said that the chilling effect is a, is a First Amendment principle. That's that's fascinating. Like, which kind of I'm curious as to why no one has brought this kind of lawsuit to one of these social media companies in in the past. Is it is it literally been because it was a private company, and the difference here is because it's the government leaning on the private company? Exactly. So, yeah, so the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. And so there are actually a lot of libertarians who don't like this lawsuit at all and who don't like the idea. Their, their uh, theory, which I think is incorrect, is that, well, the companies are actually uh, sort of working in collaborate. They're collaborating with the government, which is, uh, which is OK, they say. <laughs> if, if private companies want, they like the Biden administration, they're all left wing, they all have the same aims. Um, if they want to do that, well, they can do that. There's nothing that prevents that. I think that's an incorrect interpretation of the First Amendment. I don't think that the government, you know, should be driving uh, censorship at all. I don't think they should be having any involvement in what private companies are doing. And we know that this isn't really what the companies would want to be doing themselves because they weren't doing it before the government started threatening them. Um, if it was beneficial to them from an economic standpoint, which, of course, ultimately, that's what all private companies are <laughs> there for, they would have been censoring people way more before. Um, and the, the court, again, in the, the original case that I brought, didn't accept the representations of the plaintiffs that they had noticed censorship went way up once this campaign started. He thought that, you know, he wanted, he maybe would have uh, reached a different conclusion if we had provided statistics, but that's almost impossible with that. The sort of, well, one of the ironies of this is, you know, if you throw the lawsuit out at the stage, we can't get to discovery, which would provide us with the information that we need in order to substantiate, you know, the allegations, but he didn't, it's puts us in a catch-22, basically. Mm. But the judge in the Missouri case, well, it's the Missouri Attorney General's case. It's actually uh, in Louisiana. Um, the, the judge there um, uh, is allowing it to get to discovery. So we're actually in discovery right now. Okay, that is exciting. So, so what yeah. sort of thing are you are you subpoenaing for? Are you are you asking <laughs> for? Are you are you like I assume any 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 communication between anyone at Twitter or at, what social media companies are involved in the lawsuit? Twitter, I assume. Um, Google. Twitter, did you Facebook, mention? YouTube. Yeah, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I don't think Google is. Um, also, we're not suing any of the private companies, so uh, there um, we would want. You know, I can't speak. I can't speak very specifically exactly because we're sort of in uh, proceedings right now. But theoretically speaking, what one would want is proof, first of all, you know, through communications that the federal government is um, threatening them or coercing them uh, or exerting pressure and that uh, or I guess that um, the companies don't really want to do this. If there was an indication that, well, we have to do this because otherwise we're going to suffer repercussions and it'll be worth, worth, worth for us in the long run, that would be very valuable. And I suspect I suspect is the case. Um, the question of whether anyone put it in writing, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to find that out. Mm. Yeah. Something tells me some of those records might start to disappear. As yeah. Well, <laughs> well, as you may be aware, there was, um, there, since I filed the Changizi lawsuit, we're actually asking the judge to reopen it based on it, uh, some newly discovered evidence. So, there were emails from uh, the Department of Homeland Security that were made public, I think, around in June. And those um, those showed you know, the creation of a disinformation governance board, which sounds very Orwellian. <laughs> and yeah. it's sort of designed, again, to have the government involved in social media uh, censorship. Um, 
that came forward. And then the uh, emails from the CDC from two weeks ago, or not, the emails weren't from two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, emails from the CDC were released that showed, uh, again, quite a bit of at, at least collaboration, um, you know, that they're directing social media companies to do this. And one very interesting thing uh, we found was, you know, they had a list of specific accounts or tweets. Um, actually, not so much the accounts, but the tweet. And one was from Naomi Wolf, who many people may be familiar with as a um, critic of the COVID policy and vaccines. Um, and she was permanently suspended from Twitter just a few weeks after the CDC had flagged that post for Twitter and said, you know, tweets like this are a problem. So again, that's, you know, further, there's a lot of smoke here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where can I find this CDC story? Um, with the the CDC, you said it was, came out two weeks ago. I just want to look this up because, like, well, that is amazing. yeah. It was um, well. I have many links I can send mm. you. It's uh, an organization called I think ADS, I believe. Um, uh, FOIA them, the Freedom of Information Act, uh, and I, I have links all over. Will it be on your Twitter? Uh, Oh, yeah, I definitely linked to it at some point, somewhere around two weeks ago. It's also in the complaint, the latest version of the Missouri complaint. We added that to it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll have a look for it, and I'll put it in the link uh, the yeah. description below for people. Sorry, sometimes I just try and pull stuff up, stuff up because yeah, if, I can, yeah. if I can find it quickly. Here it is. Twitter suspends yeah. Naomi Wolf. You tweeted it. Yeah. I tweeted the whole, earlier I tweeted the whole um, link to the entire PDF. It's, it's quite a few pages. Yeah. So she pan and then she, she tweeted. Blah, blah. Yeah, I, it, to be honest, it, 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 it still baffles me that we, we, we just accept that like a handful of billionaires are totally, totally fine mm -hmm. to to like decide what we can and can't see. And then when we could, the, then when it turns out in 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 this case uh, with 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 your lawsuit that the government are the ones leaning on them to to, to yeah. decide. It's just like who in their fucking right mind thinks that's a good system? <laughs> like, I I don't know. <laughs> Like, can, I don't know. Can you imagine what the New York Times would have said if this was four years ago, right? I and know. and the Trump administration was leaning on Twitter and Facebook to remove posts. The, the, I know. <laughs> I mean, if 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 papers like the Times or the New Yorker magazine, you know, had any integrity, they would be covering this. But they're not going to because it makes the Biden administration look bad. Look bad. They're just political. They're just political actors, you know, and the irony is the Democrats accuse the Republicans of just being Fox News, you know, Fox News being the Republicans' mouthpiece, but they're doing exactly the same thing, and arguably even worse, because they're not, I mean, to my knowledge, the Republicans are not engaged in this level of censorship of, like, core political, you know, that this has totally skewed the debate, um, and we know that now we know the censorship went back even farther than I realized when I filed the initial lawsuit. So what did you th uh, what did you, you think know. initially? And then how far how far back does it go? So I, it's, I, I became aware I became very suspicious because I noticed, you know, again, as a Twitter user, I noticed a lot of my friends were getting suspended sort of around the time that uh, that uh, Biden, Jennifer Stocky, his press secretary at the time, um, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas started making these threatening statements to tech companies. 
And I thought, you know, this can't be a coincidence. All of a sudden, everyone's getting suspended. Um, and then, uh, so that made me suspicious. But now we know more, and we now we actually know this goes further back and was more of a, a coordinated effort. Probably, I'm going to guess since like mid 2020, um, because there was such a crackdown too with the Great Barrington scientists in October 2020. Yeah, I'm just pulling up what she said um, in this was July 2021 when she said that uh, they're identifying problematic posts for Facebook to censor because they contain misinformation about COVID-19. It's just. Yeah. <sighs> that to me is, is obvious. I, you know, uh, you have a body of case law where judges, I think this is right, the right approach. Judges say, you know, we understand if something like this happens, it's going to be hard for any individual to be able to establish that they were censored because of the government. Um, but the government can't go around making these statements and we're going to presume there's a chilling effect. We're going to presume that people aren't saying things because they're afraid of reprisal. And that's obviously what's happening here. I know it's happening because I'm censoring myself. <laughs> yeah. And I talk to my friends on Twitter. <laughs> and and then... then wow. So is there is there precedent? Like, is there is there case law? Is there like is there previous I don't know examples of this happening that you're you're basing well, the case on? That's what you know. I think that's part of the problem. Is a lot of judges, frankly, lack courage. This is sort of new territory. We've obviously never had anything like this. I mean, you've just never had um, social media where any anybody for you know I can gain it. I can and have gained a huge following, and so I can say something, and you know. Thousands or sometimes even millions of people say it. That's not, uh, that's unprecedented in history. You know, you had sort of, um, this traditional publications or the, I, I don't know, the establishment. Um, and you, I mean, I've drawn the comparison to judges before. If you had the federal government telling the New York Times, don't, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't publish alternative perspectives about, uh, the Cold War or the Iraq War or whatever. Uh, that's misinformation and it's dangerous. We would all have been like, up in arms. Everybody would have been up in arms, certainly the left. And so I think there's something about the nature of it. Um, and it, it, of course, it's, uh, it's been hard to get libertarians on board with many of these ideas because they are very married or um, they've stuck to this idea that it's the private companies. We can't tell private companies what to do. They've, you know, the First Amendment doesn't apply to them. Um, and, you know, First of all, that's not even what our lawsuit is about. I frankly disagree with that as a matter of philosophy. I mean, we have we live in a real world. We, this is an unprecedented situation where we have social media. Um, and, and frankly, a place like Twitter and Facebook and, and even YouTube, they control the public discourse. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really because the 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 people that keep getting banned, like it's yeah. it's it's wild like the, what people are repeatedly getting banned for i mean not even even specifically related to the covid stuff but it just seems that like these these platforms are getting like harsher and harsher and harsher and like the, they will swing the ban hammer for for almost anything like the one that i laughed about recently is that james Lindsay's off twitter now he's yeah, yeah. Com completely banned permanently well well exactly and i mean uh you know it's funny there was a, a woman on there who's a super you know radical, woke, whatever, um, <laughs> a politically correct person who was bragging on there that she had reported him. So that's what you also, you know, one reason you get flagged is because people are reporting you and there's plenty of people who just ha are out to get you. Um, I, I mean, I recently, after a 
spat with somebody on there. I had a couple of tweets, actually one labeled, you know, with a warning. Uh, ridiculous. And I, uh, I had a cardiologist I know named Denise Coca, who's very good, um, you know, very esteemed cardiologist. He had, uh, retweeted a study of myocarditis rates following the vaccine, and he was blocked out of his account until he deleted the tweet. I mean, this is, we have a cardiologist now being <laughs> censored for, uh, giving information about cardiology because it conflicts with the, uh, everyone has to get the vaccine mantra when we, I mean, it's really Orwellian. Yeah, and especially when it comes to something as complicated as people's health. Like, like yeah. And it's, it's like a serious form of arrogance to just believe that you, you are like the, the truth. It's like, yep. it's like, it's, it's almost yep. like, it's like, it's like messianic, you know, because yep. it isn't, isn't that, yeah, that's what Jesus said, right? It's like, I am the light, mm-hmm. the way and the truth or something like that. That's basically what they're saying. They're like, we are the truth. Oh, yeah. That's like that yep. Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. Yeah, I am the science. I'm a science. <laughs> I mean, and uh, they, they keep getting proven wrong again and again and again. They don't listen to anything. They don't, they're not willing to take alternative perspectives into consideration. Um, it's just. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous. As, as, like, and Very. The, the lawsuit is really. I'm curious about this chilling effect, though, actually. Like, I'm going to sidetrack <laughs> you for a second because I noticed. I'm yeah, going to yeah. pull this up on my phone here, two, two seconds. I noticed the other day on my podcast on Spotify that some of my episodes had been flagged. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I'm going to find which one it was just for the, for the fun. But, like, so technically, could I um, claim the chilling effect? If I have uh, decided I don't want to talk about certain things because they have uh, put the, they flagged me. Gert van den yeah, Bosch, sure. unfortunately, he's only sure. a PhD in virology um, and only worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So that's misinformation, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a few <laughs> that get flagged. Cynthia McKinney, she was a former congresswoman, actually. First black congresswoman from uh, from Georgia. She ran for VP with uh, Jesse Ventura. Wow. Oh, one uh, hero. Anyway. I, you know, well, well, one can only hope that being so extreme will actually backfire on them. Like, you know, it's so obvious and it's so crazy. And, you know, the examples you have are you have, you know, these really esteemed people who are experts in their field being censored because it doesn't toe the Biden party line. Like, that's, I mean, that's just classic uh, censorship. Mm-hmm. But, well, you might have a problem, too, trying to bring a lawsuit, because I don't know. I mean, I believe that technically the First Amendment wouldn't apply to you since you're not a citizen. You well, don't live in the US, that's but... also true. I, yeah. don't, I don't really count <laughs> yeah. um, to your company in Sweden. Yeah, well, I'll leave that for another day. But anyway, um, yeah. I'm curious to go back to that first lawsuit, actually, for a minute um, that you were talking about. So the you said that people that the essential the problem was that it was thrown out because you couldn't prove like a causal link between um government action and the actual censorship did the did the judge give any indication as to the strength of your other arguments like what did or was it just like a, a ludicrous like thrown out without looking at things was there I don't know. How did you feel? He wrote, he wrote <laughs> I was upset, but he wrote a long decision. Um, so it wasn't thoughtless, but he, he sort of, that sort of was at the heart of all of it. So he, he I don't know how much you want me to get into the legalese here, but he, Go for it. there's a concept. I studied law. I'll try and keep up. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't remember that. There's a concept called standing, which basically, um, 
it's about like whether you know you there's a, a live case or controversy and the right parties are the ones you know you're the one who caused my injury if I'm suing you um so he basically tossed it out on standing he said that uh you know that there were one of the components of standing is traceability so you have to be able to trace your injury to the party you're suing and then redressability so you have to show that um the you know whatever you want to get out of it that you could get out of it you know if you succeeded in the lawsuit so he said, you know, because you can't prove that the uh, the government is doing this, well, that that's not so that's you lose on traceability, and then you also can't show that these people wouldn't be censored if it weren't for the government. Maybe Twitter would have done this anyway. So that was, you know, the redressability. But then he also sort of used it for the more core, like First Amendment analysis, and um, basically a similar thing. And said, like, well, the government just isn't censoring their speech; the private companies are, and that's that's a different issue. Um, so it was all sort of based on that one thing. And, um, you know, my contention has been he should have at least gotten to discovery. I mean, yes, perhaps there's an argument. And again, I, I don't necessarily agree with it. There's perhaps an argument we didn't have enough to win based on the evidence we had in the complaint. Um, but, but we, like the allegations, well, I shouldn't say that. Like we maybe needed some more evidence to substantiate our allegations to ultimately prove our case. But with the inferences that could be drawn and the inferences that that stage are supposed to be drawn in our favor did tie this to the government. And perhaps we needed those documents, more documents to create that link. But this wasn't the proper stage to throw it out. And if, if we couldn't uh, get it, who, who could? Um, okay. And actually, the judge in, the, in Louisiana actually said that. Um, that sure, it was different plaintiffs, but it was very similar allegations. And he said, if they don't have standing, who does? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a very, very fair point. Um, so what do you think then? So now um, the, the evidence that you've got in the complaint, at least you've got uh, the disinfo- the, the presence of the, the disinformation force. Um, I guess you've probably got more statements from... from- well, oh, in the, yeah, in the Missouri, sorry, yeah, the Missouri one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so and then you get yeah, the presence of the disinformation force. You've probably got some more statements, I assume, from um, other yeah. government government bodies um you got this this, these leaks from the cdc is that do you think that's enough then to would would you be able to win the case on that or are you hoping for more stuff in in discovery i think we should be able to win the case based on that but okay but yes i imagine since we've gotten discovery i think there will be things in there um and you know this allows us to to question individuals so to presumably get somebody from twitter and say like are, you know, did your policies change because of the government? Why did they change because of, you know, what the government was saying? You know, um, it's a tricky question, but I do think historically it will be clear that we were right. <laughs> you would like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. generally people who take um, stands based on like long-standing and well-established principles that seem to have worked for most of the the history of uh, the non-violent world, um, seems like it might be a reasonable idea. Just yeah. stick with the things that have served yeah. us very, very well. Um, yeah, it's just because it's also it's like as soon as the government is involved in what you can and cannot say, you just you, you're past the threshold that you you really don't want to go by, you know. And then yeah. before before you know it, you can't even see it. It's like a blink in the distance. And you can't That's even right. mention that you used to be able to say things because, yeah, you can't That's say right. that anymore, unfortunately. Well, thankfully, right. we, we can. But, um, yeah. I mean, did you see today Nancy Pelosi described China as the, one of the freest countries in the world? 
I missed that. That's just. She actually said that. Like I watched the video. She actually said it. Sometimes I see it in quotes. I'm like, are they taking this out of context? Nope. Nope. That's actually what she said. So, I mean, if she thinks China is free, we're all a bit screwed. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my clients in that Shangizi case, the one that got thrown out, uh, his name is Michael Singer. I don't know if you were familiar with him. He had a large following and his sort of main thesis, uh, he even wrote a book on it, was basically that the CCP has been driving lockdown policy around the world and, you know, trying to um, get Western countries to be less uh, democratic and less um, liberal in order to sort of bring them down economically into uh, gain control. And, you know, I, I tend towards a little bit of a less, like, I tend towards the theory that like a lot, a lot of people are just incompetent and, <laughs> and uh, less towards like the grand plan. But I mean, I certainly do think China, you know, has those intentions, whether or not our, people are adopting things because of China. Well, that's a different um, question, but I'm sure he's very interested in what Nancy Pelosi said. Mm. I mean, it really depends on who you think is driving the Chinese policy and whether you think yeah. it's the same people or not. Um, yeah. And it also depends whether you think China were just pushing the lockdown policy to sell a whole bunch of PPE to the world. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I think it's, 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 to be honest, I'm, I think we're 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 at a point where I even saw CNN covering doing a segment about the the continued lockdowns in China and how about their zero COVID policy was really damaging and how it seemed to be more about authoritarianism than than health. And I was like, whoa, okay, so even <laughs> even CNN are saying it, yeah, which suggests that we're at least past the the worst of of people trying to claim that this was a that that was just all about health and not about control which is nice um to to know we're we're at that point at least although they'll also say at the same time like well we didn't really lock down you know we didn't really have that (laughs) there was nothing authoritarian about what the west did no no i mean it depends where you were i think it is really your experience of how strict it was really depends like even down to like where you were in what part of each individual country because it like Depend, oh, sure. depends how rural it was depends what the people around you thought do you know what i mean you, you might have felt right. if it was way stricter if you were more isolated whereas people who were all partying together in each other's houses might have not considered things to be that strict yeah um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway um so i uh, i'm curious about uh, a little bit more about the case so what do you think uh what's your like ideal outcome here like what what do you want from this? Like the U.S. government to just um, admit it, or <laughs> well, that would be nice. What you ultimately want is a finding in a court, uh, whether it's from a judge or a jury, uh, that um, you know that this violates the First Amendment and the government can't do this. And I, I would, I mean, this should be very precedent setting. Hopefully, that the government cannot use tech companies, social media companies to accomplish its own aim. But that's essentially the equivalent of trying to use print newspaper or whatever would have been, you know, the same sort of functional equivalent 50 years ago as, and would have clearly been recognized as a First Amendment violation. What if the social media companies argue that they're the ones in control and that their massive, massive donations to U.S. government uh, and, yeah, congressional candidates, Senate candidates, 
shows that they're the ones that are in charge of the censorship and the US government are simply backing them up. Would that still be illegal? Um, so that's the problem. I mean, that's kind of that. So that, and again, that's like the libertarians will say that's totally fine. If, if, if the tech companies are basically saying, um, you know, we, we think misinformation is a problem too. And all we're doing is coordinating with the government to accomplish our mutual aim of suppressing misinformation. Um, then, then a lot of people would say that's legal. Now, it, the case law in the first amendment context isn't great. Um, What's interesting is that there's there's almost better case law in the Fourth Amendment context. The Fourth Amendment um, prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. I think you guys have something similar there. I believe our Fourth Amendment is modeled after something you have. Uh, I, I'm revealing my ignorance of <laughs> law, but uh, the you know there you have actually significant law saying like the government can't use uh, private actors to accomplish its aims. So I can't. If uh, Biden can't, you know, use me to go into your house <laughs> and search it, uh, you know, even though he doesn't have probable cause or a warrant. Um, so those principles should also sort of carry over in terms of the government using private individuals to accomplish its own aims, in my opinion. And one reason it kind of maybe didn't develop that much in the First Amendment context is because we didn't have anything like this before social media. So it's really all sort of new terrain. Yeah. Does this like sort of so say say one was to believe that the there is like a a web of corporate power in America where you know a, a bunch of different companies are the leaders of a bunch of different industries and due to massive donations and monopolies they hold and the amount of money they spend on advertising and propping up the corporate press were very much driving the policies of America. It kind of seems to me right at this second that this is really dangerous in that there is basically like no way to legally prosecute them for violating free speech rights because it's all private companies. Like, is this the same in a, in a lot of other, like, areas of, of, of governance? It's just kind of concerning me now because we're, like, outsourced, because we outsource so much. And because, like, yeah. private industry and, and, and the government have become so intertwined. Like, is it becoming, like, really difficult to to prosecute? Because that, that, that relationship is so, like, so close that you can't quite tell who is what and what's being carried out by who. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would say that this is actually sort of reflected here. Um, I mean, again, that's one of the problems that we're up against. I mean, I still think it's clear that this is, you know, the federal government driving this and a First Amendment issue. I do think, I mean, there's a greater, a broader discussion to be had about, you know, even if it is coming from the social media companies um, or they're, you know, sort of working with the government, it, it, you know, this needs to be addressed in the modern era when they're controlling the public discourse. Um the, you know, and one of the arguments actually that's in the Missouri lawsuit is that Section 230, which um, is regulates, um, uh, well, it's actually designed to shield these companies from liability for censoring people. Um, that, that allows these monopolies to, to grow. So that was sort of government uh, propping up certain companies, uh, allowing these, you know, Twitter and Facebook to sort of dominate the public square, the modern public square. And then now they're saying, oh, these are private companies, they can do whatever they want. So that's actually alleged in the lawsuit, too, that there's government action involved in all of it. And uh, therefore, this this really can't just be considered 
um, you know, private companies acting on their own. And I think that's, you know, you sort of look, it's kind of obvious. I mean, you would have more competition. Um, it would maybe be easier to, people try to start, start alternative platforms, you know, like Parler, Gab, Getter. Um, they don't really take off. They tend to be like right-wing echo chambers, so they're not really as interesting for someone like me. Yeah. Uh, I don't really want to just be in a right-wing echo chamber. Yeah, no, I have the same problem. Like, it, you know, I'd love there to be an alternative. That's why I was so pumped when I thought Elon, Elon was going to buy Twitter. Yes, I know. It's like at least something might be interesting. You know, the, it might just yeah. not be increasing amounts of censorship. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Actually, how much do you know about... Actually, no, wait, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, I just wanted to ask, so, so basically in the lawsuit, you're, you're essentially not just alleging that um, the government was leaning on these platforms to, to possibly yeah, censor people or have people removed for stating certain, certain things, that you're also alleging that because of Section 230 being in place, that it allowed the monopolies to grow up that actually meant that the censorship that they were imparting was far more impactful. And, and yeah, it was because because Section 230 has allowed these companies to become the massive like monoliths that they are in each of the different spheres, that that has meant that their censorship is, like I don't know, more consequential or, or something like that? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. You got it exactly. And so that's not really a separate claim. That's just sort of in the fact, you know, sort of painting the picture of how this is really a government uh, enterprise or uh, at least government using these public or these, sorry, these private companies to, uh, again, to accomplish its aims. Uh, so that's, yeah, so it's, it's a main violation of the First Amendment. There are also claims that are maybe less sort of, um, that maybe are, are less uh, interesting to most people, but about sort of these agencies having the authority to do what they're doing. Um, sort of, it's called ultra-virus action. They're, you know, like the CDC is supposed to prevent the spread of disease. Is the CDC really supposed to be telling Facebook to censor Naomi Wolf? <laughs> that sounds a bit outside of its purview. So those are, uh, but those are sort of tangential claims. Mm. Well, I mean, I hadn't actually considered it like that, but yeah, like CDC needs to get out of that space immediately. <laughs> is yeah. there like is there is there any precedent of like I don't know same wartime like governments leaning on like newspapers maybe or something to not print certain stories like uh my head's flashing the Pentagon Papers but then obviously Pentagon Papers yeah but then they but they, they published them anyway <laughs> yeah they published them yeah, anyway yeah. <laughs> like is there, is yeah. there is there any other precedent that like you can you can yeah not even rely on but like is there any any history where, where the government has gone to court for trying to censor people, basically? Um, like via sure, a private I, I, company, I mean. Yeah, um, so the porn industry is is one. Um, there are a number of cases that come from that where the government was threatening booksellers, for instance, like if you keep selling these books, we're going to, uh, you know, you'll, you'll face legal consequences. Um, wow. The, yeah, there's one called Bantam Books, and there the court said, uh, you know, basically that wasn't okay. That's not exact. It's not exactly the same thing because it was the so there was the book companies that were suing. So that would be more the equivalent of Twitter suing. So I do I do think you know if you had Twitter or Facebook suing the government and saying they're coercing us, that would be a very successful lawsuit. Part of the problem is there's this sort of, you know, causation chain issue <laughs> that we're facing, which again, I mean, I want to be very clear. I think, I think we're absolutely correct. I think this is the gravest First Amendment violation that I, I would actually say, I think I can say unequivocally that this country has ever seen. 
I mean, in terms of suppressing really valid debate on the most important topics of our time. And I think that we have enough now. We have enough proof now to make our case. But again, you know, not everybody agrees. <laughs> yeah. So, like, say, say this was successful, and then in the future we have some other crisis. Z- z- or yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Pick your, pick your mad natural disaster, or I don't know, whatever madness comes yeah. next. The alien invasion. That's that. That was next yeah. on the calendar, right? And, yeah, that and people start publishing, you know, information about the aliens. Set. Like the the government welcomes them with open arms. You know, they have a big press conference on the the lawn of the White House. Someone gets beamed down, and then there'll be some. Obviously, there'll be some reporters being like, "We shouldn't trust the aliens. Like, don't trust them." And they start posting, you know, information about or misinformation about the planet that the aliens were from, mm-hmm. and <laughs> like then uh, social media companies get lent on to by the government again, sense them being like, oh, no, you can't be saying these bad things about our new friends. We don't want them to blow us up. Is there is there ever like a way to like rapidly deal with these issues? Or is this always something that's come in like two, three years down the line? Like, a, So say there'd been the precedent for this sort of case before COVID hit. Would it have been a simple thing then to just say, um, actually, you're in violation of this, like, case law? Or would it always it take would be, this long to, to build the case? It would be easier. So, I mean, you can get what's known as a preliminary injunction. And that's where you basically, you know, if you show that there's uh, the law is very clear and there's irreparable harm, um, then you can, you know, get before a judge really quickly and, uh, you know, get, get some. So, yeah, one of the issues is that this is, this is also novel. It's raising sort of novel factual issues, not to mention, you know, legal theories. And that's part of the reason it's um, taking so long. So, yeah, if we had some precedent, that would definitely help next time. But I think, you know, to go to your point um, about the whole misinformation thing, I mean, this is, you know, why we don't have the government involved in deciding what's true and what's false. I mean, uh, some of the things people are saying about the vaccines are not true and, and arguably are somewhat dangerous. I mean, uh, saying that no one should get the vaccine and they have microchips and they're killing people right and left is not helpful information and it's not true. <laughs> uh, likewise, it's not true that the vaccines are good, you know, that everybody should get the vaccine. It's a good cost-benefit analysis for everybody and that they stop transmission effectively and that, um, you know, you, the truth lies somewhere in, in between those two things. But uh but haven't, but once you start to allow the government to decide that, you know, that first thing that the microchip <laughs> isn't true, well, then where does it stop? Where do you draw the line? And that's why we have government stay out of this altogether. And so, you know, you can say maybe some people are harmed because of people who said crazy things about the vaccine. That's unfortunately the price we pay to live in a free society. And we, and we have to, you know, so we have to trust our citizens to be intelligent, to be able to sort through things, through, um, the information they're given and, Sure, it's very it's very confusing times. Everybody's exposed to so much information. Nobody knows what to believe. But the government hasn't done itself any favors by <laughs> suppressing the voices of very credentialed people and then repeatedly claiming to have a handle on the truth when it clearly doesn't. If if the if the CDC, if Rochelle Walensky and Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins want everybody to listen to them and to to believe what they say, well then they should be more credible. But they've repeatedly um, lied, made claims that weren't backed by the evidence, and um, and and then are at the same time coercing people and silencing the voices of other scientists. So that's just not how you gain the trust of the American public or, or the public at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just 
I, I keep going back to the to, to the way you put it there. It's just like it, as soon as you allow the government to get involved in this in this kind of business of just telling people what they can and cannot say, then you've created a power that, that, that can decide that it cannot be criticized or that its policies can't be criticized. And then it's no longer a government in a free society. It's, yeah, it's like on its way to being some sort of totalitarian regime. It always reminds me of the, 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 the Benjamin Franklin quote, actually. Uh, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase yeah. a, temp- a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Yeah. Which is, yeah, scarily true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was 265 years ago. Yep. I know. I actually had that as my uh, background quote, I think, for a while on Twitter. <laughs> now I have something about free speech by uh, George Washington. <laughs> yeah. So. Just, yeah, we've got like 15 minutes left. So I do want to ask you about the Twitter thing since I brought it up earlier. Like, how much have you been paying attention to, to Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter? A little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I know the deal fell through. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, seems too bad. Yeah. I noticed, again, you know, there it seemed like some censorship was decreasing for a little while and then it went back up when the deal fell through. A lot of people have been getting suspended recently. Yeah. What do you think that was? Do you think they really stopped? Do you think this is just like some weird like Mandela effect where we're all thinking that, you know, for some reason that everything is now, it was that the censorship was stopping? Or do you think they really were just like, crap, right? We like to like stop, like start turning off all the shadow bands. This is like, we've got a clean house. We've only got a month yeah. like running around like that SpongeBob meme where they're tearing like filing cabinets out. <laughs> I, I maybe you know I uh, I don't know may very well be I really hope so yeah but yeah so then um, we can spend the last fifteen minutes like just talking about uh, freedom of speech because yeah from from a legal standpoint like do you consider that to be like I, I, when I look at it as the First Amendment I'm like does that mean it was the most important like do you consider that to be like the the most crucial part of the the U S Constitution. I think so, yeah. I think Dave Chappelle said uh, the First Amendment is the most important and the second is there in case the first doesn't work out. <laughs> second <laughs> Amendment is the right to bear arms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I mean, uh, being able to debate, I mean, I think there's a reason it's the First Amendment. <laughs> being able to debate about the, the most important issues of the day is, I mean, it's crucial. Uh, and, you know, yes, technically, as we've discussed, the First Amendment only applies to the government. So, Again, you can't make the argument that private companies can't censor speech. But in terms of sort of moral and practical concerns, the idea that silencing your opponents or silencing speech that you don't like um, is the way to go, I think, is deeply concerning. And I, I think and I've talked a lot about this recently, too. I mean, this is sort of cancel culture, which is a huge problem here um, where people are, you know, uh, have a different opinion about some topic and they're deemed bigots and their careers are ruined. And so one, I mean, one big one today is if you think that maybe they're most, you know, there is a, <laughs> there are two genders, there are two sexes, and most people are one or the other. And <laughs> there are probably some individuals who, you know, have some sort of in between or, or identify not as the person they were born as, but, um, but, you know, generally speaking, there are two sexes, uh, that's considered hate speech by a lot of people today. Um, or if you think, you know, maybe trans women shouldn't be able to play in women's sports. That's another one. I mean, um, which people say isn't a real thing, but a trans woman just won the swimming championship, uh, 
and trans women, especially if they went through puberty as, as the way they were born as uh, <laughs> biological males, they're stronger, <laughs> they have much more muscle mass, so they're going to win. And this is sort of depriving women of what we've fought for for quite a long time to be able to have some of our own territory. And, <laughs> you know, and these winning a competition like that has also practical implications like scholarships and financial rewards. So uh, I might be wrong on this topic, but the fact that I'm called a bigot and, you know, just completely smeared and, and that's, you know, another form of it, it's chilling in the mm. societal context where people don't say this. I've decided I just say whatever I think now. I don't care. But <laughs> Yeah, COVID did that to quite a lot of people, I think. They were yeah. just like, well, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it does. And and you to to your point, like it's it's so important that we can talk about things because like even if we disagree, you're just like uh, I think I think the canceling has made people less willing to listen to people who who they disagree with. And I think we're at this point where there's this really weird thing happening where I don't think anyone who is like being tribal about any issue actually understands the other person's argument. Yeah. I like, not that they don't agree with them, not that they've not like listened to them. I just think they straight up don't understand what the other side yeah. is, is talking about. It's like, 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 yeah, we've already gone super controversial. So it's fine. So it's like, it's like the abortion debate. Like one side literally thinks you're killing children, right? That's what they think. Yeah. It's like whatever, whatever you think, right, is fine. But like they believe that you're killing children, and like yeah. like at least concede that that's what they think. And you might like suddenly yeah, yeah, yeah. like not consider yeah. them to be the worst people on the planet as soon as you realize that they actually think you're killing children. Like <laughs> right, 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 and that's. You know, and they, you, you're exactly on point there. I mean, they keep talking past each other because, they, you know, and then the left says, you don't care about, you know, we will not be controlled, you know, and uh, women will not allow that us to make medical decisions and blah, 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 about our freedom. I mean, if you don't acknowledge that the other side, and again, like I'm pro-choice, I'm very open about that. Uh, but if you, if you don't acknowledge that the other side's argument is this is a life that has its own rights, then you can't have the debate. And so, so these the sides just keep talking past each other. And frankly, you know who's winning from all of this? It's the establishment politicians who keep using these as wedge issues to turn the public against each other, both sides against each other. So I, you know, and I, I personally, I mean, maybe it's a little bit conspiratorial on my part, but I think they both are very happy with things the way they are. And this, you know, allows them, the working class can't actually come together. They've managed to sort of um, splinter, uh, you know, like race issues and class issues so they've sort of turned everybody against each other when those sides could be working together to create better conditions for the working class which is what the left used to be about <laughs> yeah yeah no i think you're I, I don't think it's conspiratorial at all i think that the reason they haven't done anything about it because like democrats uh they have the majority in the house they have the cast and vote in the senate they have the presidency they can no longer sit there and claim that they are powerless and they are doing nothing, um, essentially, to, to, to advance any of the things that they argue to be the most important. And they don't, yeah. they've, they've done nothing to attempt to reconcile it, nothing to attempt to like even appease some people. Like, it's like they want your money. That's it. They want yeah. your money for fundraising. 
Like that's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> and and the Labour Party um in in the in Britain um that are they're meant to be they're in the same position. They want your money. Because like they 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 elected a guy who was shall we say fairly hostile to the left of the party, um, and they've lost two hundred thousand members. Like that's a third. Yeah. They've lost a third of their membership um, because because of that. And and now they want your money. Now they're like, oh, um, we need a fundraise. Uh, look how bad the government is. Y- yeah, look yeah. how bad they are. The government that they basically agreed with for two years. Look how bad they are. Give us some money. Um, that's basically yep. how it goes down, unfortunately. It's a sad, it's a touch yep. sad. But what do you think is going to happen in November? <laughs> I think the Republicans will win. Um, uh, I'm less certain they're going to sweep it the way that I thought they would have before the abortion thing. I think that some people maybe vote want to vote Democrat because they want to preserve you know right to choose, which would be done through more Democratic legislatures. Um, so I'm not as confident as I was, and I want the Republicans to win, not because I really like the Republicans, <laughs> but because I think that the Democrats, I have more hope that the Democrats could potentially, um, you know, do some good things. Uh, once again, be the party of the working class. Uh, and they need to be sent a message that closing schools, disadvantaging poor children, um, ignoring people's natural needs, like the need to socialize and <laughs> uh, get cancer screenings and attend substance abuse treatments that uh, and breathe without a mask on and make their own medical choices, that that's not going to get them anything. And I think that if the Republicans don't win, they're going to get the message that this is all okay with it for the last two and a half years. So, um, and it wasn't exclusively Democrats. There were plenty of Republicans who embraced these measures, but it sort of broadly fell on the Democrats. And they, you know, they've just been so extreme. There's still places where they're masking children in schools. A bunch of, you know, uh, Democratic strongholds are mandating the COVID vaccine for school children, even what? though we know from, yeah, we, in DC, the DC has the strictest one now. They, um, even though that Pfizer's own data says that the vaccine doesn't stop infection in children five to 11. Um, which the New York Times acknowledged, but still, we have to mandate the vaccine for them. Um, when the virus suing? This is what, like, I'm, well, sometimes when they, they think of the lack of lawsuits, like, yeah, well, I actually looked at it there. I, I'm sort of waiting. I have my eye on it in DC because where I'm, I'm now living. Um, they, uh, it, they, they seem to be, it, it appears to me that they're going to grant any exemption request. So it's almost like a suggestion, but of course what this does is it coerces the less informed parents, maybe the non-native English speakers, the parents who don't have time to call me up and do their own research and figure out, oh, you know what, all I have to do is make up something and I don't have to get my kid the vaccine. So, uh, you know, it's, it's um, and uh, actually the Washington Post came out with an article the other day saying 40% of black kids won't be able to attend school because of this mandate. Um, of course, the Washington Post solution was, well, we got to get, better get those kids vaccinated ASAP than in the school. <laughs> Rather than, you know, maybe this mandate is a bad idea. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. I mean, if, if people are denied exemptions, uh, then I would definitely look at a lawsuit. And uh, one of the other issues, is I, when this, they came down with this mandate a few weeks ago, I was sort of looking at it. And uh, everybody, all the parents I talked to were seeking exemptions. So I was, that earlier concept we talked about standing, I don't, I wouldn't have anyone with standing if the exemptions were granted. So um, I need someone who's, not going to seek an exemption or who was denied one and then I could, you know, potentially pursue a case. Of course, I have other reasons I'd have to evaluate. I can't promise. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, here it is. 
from a couple of weeks ago. DC to require yeah. students 12 and older to be vaccinated against COVID-19 this fall. Wow. Yeah. 12 and up. Like it's because over here it's done. We're finished. I know. <laughs> we got bigger things to deal with. <laughs> I know. Not that we're dealing with them, but there's bigger things to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, Janine, that seems like uh, a good place in which we can can uh, wrap up. So, uh, is there anything of yours you want to direct people towards? Your Twitter? I don't know. Maybe the lawsuit. Sure. Uh, yeah, so the lawsuit, feel free to follow it. It's called um, Missouri versus Biden. Very exciting. It's actually like Missouri X Corral. Uh, Eric Schmidt is the attorney general of Missouri uh, versus Biden et al. Um, that's in the Western District of Louisiana. My Twitter handle is Lefty Lockdowns One. It's a long story, shortened from Lefty Lockdown Skeptic. It makes it sound like I'm pro lockdown. <laughs> but uh, it was lovely talking to you again, and I hope you're staying. Touch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and good luck with the lawsuit. Thank you. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.